Hi, welcome back to Page by Page Pod with Sammy and Mo. Welcome back, everybody. Super excited to be back on the pod again. Um, it is a not so lovely evening here in New Jersey. We are being affected by some insane forest fires, um, and it's causing our air quality to be horrible on a rising standard. So we are nice and safe and indoors talking about what makes us happy. Yeah, it's so funny. Like everybody's like, oh, it's a it feels like apocalyptic out there. And here we are, like most of the time I'm reading like apocalyptic, yeah. like world ending kind of books anyway. Yeah. So uh definitely in that headspace. For sure. I think I'm starting to understand how some of these characters feel when they walk out the door or hovel or I don't know, cave that they walk out of in Owl. whatever book that I'm reading. Um, but I I will say even today has been a good day for me reading wise because it being so ugly outside made me want to cozy up with a with a book and I think that I've been in a little bit of a slump since Den of Vipers um you know my feelings on that but uh I don't know how about you how have you been feeling I feel like I've slowed down in the past two weeks and maybe it's life maybe I'm busy but you take your ups and your downs today was a better day no I mean that's really a good point I feel like you know, I've also been kind of in a slump. I know we had to read a book for this week, but it took me a while to get to it. And then when I did get to it, I had to like quickly read it through. Right. Um, I'm in a slump and I don't, I think it's a little bit self-induced because uh, Diablo 4 just came out and my husband and I are <laughs> tanking that game right now. Uh, so like reading hasn't been on the forefront of my mind your spare time has been used otherwise exactly right. and it's funny because well I'll ask you a different question we had one planned but I think we're <laughs> going down a different path Works here for me. and I think that's the beauty of this right uh do you think that sometimes reading feels selfish yes and no um I think that and I'm speaking for myself here um but I think that for me I feel my husband and I do a lot together. You know, mm -hmm. Justin and I, we, we watch the same shows. We play the same games. Um, you know, he goes into the office a lot more now. So we take that time that we are together to be together. And so it feels wrong when I'm sitting on the couch next to him and I'm reading my book and he's doing something else. Or, I mean, I have such a nice cozy reading nook in my bedroom and it would feel strange for me to just like get up and be like okay I'm done watching our show for now I'm gonna go spend uh, infinite hours upstairs without you reading this book and I think I only really do that when it's a book that I genuinely seriously cannot put down and even then you know we're still kind of spending the time together but I think we talked about it in many 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 episodes ago that Justin likes to interrupt my reading by asking me questions, asking me about food things. Um, my dog likes to interrupt my reading too. So even if I do get those selfish times, I don't really enjoy them. Yeah. I've been feeling a, like a little bit like self-induced guilt. Mm -hmm. Like I'm reading and I'm reading obviously because I like to read and also for this podcast. So it's like taking a little bit of time away from like my husband or right. the dogs or whatever. Um, not that I think Chris doesn't mind at all. Chris makes fun of me for how 
not makes fun of me, but he always comments on how fast I read. So I don't think he notices it anyway. But I heard him uh, talking to one of his coworkers today and his coworker was talking about how like so many people like recommend like leadership books and things like that. And they're always reading those and or just reading in general. Mm -hmm. And and Chris is like, yeah, I don't read, but my wife reads like crazy. (laughs) And so it made me think about it. Like is reading, you know, I always thought like it's just a hobby or, you know, it's my fun thing to do, but it's such a time sink. Yeah. And especially when you're reading like a series, like, you know, if we go back to our conversation with Akatar, all I did for a whole week in any of right. my free time was read. Yeah. Um, And I guess I'm lucky that like I can do that. And it makes me think a lot like Chris and I are trying to have kids. Like what, what that, what is my reading life going to look like? When... I know. Is this podcast going to make it? I know. <laughs> But I, I think about that a lot because we talked about, you know, how I grew up in a house where, you know, my parents didn't read a whole lot. And it's because right. they didn't have a whole lot of free time. And I, I've i been spending time thinking about that because, again, all my free time has been going to playing video games with my husband. Right. Um, and I'm noticing, like, the slowdown in my reading. Well, I think, too, for you, for the past couple of weeks, it's been books that I have read already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it puts a little bit more of a difficult situation on you that you have to constantly be picking up a new thing and getting through it as fast as you can and work gets in the way and life gets in the way. And we both have very busy lives on the weekends for some reason. Yeah. Often Um, with each other. Often with each other. (laughs) In which case we could be sitting down and reading side by side, but we don't. Um, mostly because we share the same copy of our books because, you know, the economy. Yeah. Um, Saving money. But I also think previously, like, this is one of the first things that you and Chris are, like, very specifically spending the time on together. A lot of, like, your other video games yeah. or, like, shows, you didn't watch the same stuff. Right. You wouldn't do that kind of stuff. So I think lately you've kind of been in more of that, like, this is obviously from an outside observation, but in that, like, homebody mm-hmm. kind of era where you're you're watching the same shows now and you're binging them together and you're playing video games together on couch co-op and maybe that's why you're starting to feel that selfishness that comes with reading. Yeah, I mean, I think the you're hitting on something there that like with Chris and I, our hobbies are usually very separate things. Right. And so when they're very aligned or parallel, I'm noticing Yeah the separation a little bit more that I usually have. So that's an interesting thought. And you had said something earlier that made me want to ask, because I think it might be fun for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, You said, I'm cozying up to a lot of books right now. What is like your perfect cozy picture? Like what, what is cozy for you and and how do you like develop that vibe? So as I mentioned, I have my reading nook. I worked very hard on sourcing all of my materials to make my reading nook and by all of my materials, I mean my absolutely way too massive (laughs) chair and a half. Um, And that thing is my best friend. Um, And that is my epitome of cozy. I am hoping to get a new lamp for the area soon to really get that dim, warm, cozy vibe. But right now, cozy for me is a lot of different things. Uh, Most of the time it's my reading nook, you know, with a, I have the, world's softest blanket right now like barefoot dreams dupe um and it's normally that and anytime I sit on my chair my dog Leia likes to come and join um and she just 
always makes things cozier. You know, golden doodles kind of have that vibe to them. Um, but also sometimes cozy is just, I'm already sitting on my couch. I force Justin to bring me my book or my Kindle and I, I sit there with it and I'll have a cup of tea or if it's the morning, I'll have some coffee. I've been dabbling in cold brew. Mm. Um, but I think cozy is really anywhere that you can make it. Cozy is more of a, a state of mind and a good blanket. Yeah. No, I was going to say that. So this week when I was reading Addie LaRue, I had to get up god awful early because we have contractors yes. coming into the house to work on our basement, which, you know, spoiler alert, soon we'll have actual video podcasts. Uh, once that's done, we're going to have a whole space for it. Stay so. tuned. Stay tuned for that. And uh, so we got new couches as a result of everything moving around in the house for this basement. And the new couches have this really high back mm -hmm. and you can kind of like fold into it. And there's like the cushions on yeah, all sides. Yeah, there's cushions on all sides. And uh, so I had the blanket. It was early in the morning, like so early. I had the blanket, the co like very cozy yeah. Costco, beautiful blanket and the new couch. And I made a cup of coffee mm -hmm. and it had the perfect ratio of like creamer in it. Ugh. It was just like the perfect cup. And I was like... I think this is heaven. Like, I think this <laughs> I am on and, a cloud. And the dogs were quiet. And... Especially with people in your house? That's yeah, a rarity. It's a very... Yeah. <laughs> so it was just, like, a really good moment. And I was like, oh, this is what cozy feels like. You almost have to thank your contractors for getting you out of bed and giving you time to read. Yeah. Because there's something about reading in the morning when... I'm, I don't know. I, I think I'm romanticizing this a little bit. But, like... When the sun is fresh. And it feels like no one else is awake. Yeah. yeah. It feels like the, it's like, quieter. It's so quiet. Mm -hmm. And um, I just was really enjoying that. And so when you said cozy, and if anybody, you know, wants to see what uh, Sammy's cozy is, check out our Instagram because we have some pictures together on that yes. big comfy chair. Giant comfy chair. But yeah, I think that is my epitome of cozy. Like, I don't like to read in bed usually. Like, I will read in bed, but some people are like, oh, that's the best space. Yeah. Not for me. Give me... I'm not a bed reader either. I, I, the only kinds of things that I read in bed are on my Kindle, mm -hmm. and that's because it's one-handed. And even then, it's because, like, again, I can't put the book down, so I have to read it before I fall asleep. Um, otherwise, not comfortable. Craning no. my neck. Exactly. I'm constantly... I am a tosser and a turner. Uh, it's... I don't know, maybe an anxious thing. Maybe it's just a me thing. I can't stay in one position for too long. So doing that in bed with my, my pinkies start hurting from supporting my Kindle. It's a whole thing. Yeah. But I also think, and, and hear me out on this. I also think it depends on what you're reading to define That's your level true. of cozy. Like the, the book that we're going to talk about today is a very cozy book to me. Might not be to you. I think it's light. But yeah. it is... Like, I wouldn't, I, I can't say that even if I was in literally an actual cloud, I don't think I ever would have felt cozy reading Den of Vipers. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more intense. So yeah, anywhere you are. I, I need the physical and the mental to both be cozy. Yeah. Again, cozy is definitely a state of mind to me. So if I'm reading something that feels calmer or, you know, more romantic or not unhinged <laughs> is when I feel the most cozy and at ease. Yeah. That's a good point. I was thinking about this one book that I was reading while I was on my honeymoon 
in Cancun and I was in a hammock. Ooh. And the book felt a little like unsafe and fun. So I wonder if the space I was in kind of also influenced like influenced yeah. that. So that's interesting. So have you ever had a space you think influence how you receive a book? I think so. Um for example, when I was commuting into the city last year for my job, I was reading a lot on the bus and I struggled coming to terms with reading on the bus. I used to, I, I'm not a person who can read in the car. Something about it being on the bus. I don't know. It was just easier for me. But even then, like every book that I read, it didn't matter what it was. I always felt slightly on edge. And so it kind of gave that type of inflection to the book. Um, and again, a lot of the books that I read have some more dramatic underlying moments or I was reading some some super dark and, and sad kind of books. So I think maybe that's part of it, but it really brought on more of that like tense, not necessarily always oh, someone reading over my shoulder, um, but more of like, I can't put this book down because I really genuinely have to know what's going to happen next or I'm going to go crazy for the next eight hours at work mm -hmm. um and that's probably one of the only times that I can really think about my surroundings in like influencing how I feel about my book um unless I'm like sitting in a room that's full of people and I get really overstimulated and I genuinely can't read in which case it'll take me a little bit to get back into whatever I was reading because I have to decompress and remember where I was and remember what happened because something about being overstimulated while, while reading makes me 100% blackout. Yeah. No, I can't remember anything. I agree. And I think it's funny, like so much of what I read is like a little smutty. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like if I'm reading it in public, like for example, I'll read on my phone at like my hair salon while I'm right. getting, and I'm like rushing through because I'm so afraid that like she's seeing it over, your seeing it over my shoulder. <laughs> Um, and so I think it does influence how I read mm -hmm. or how I'm feeling about a book. I know when I was reading, um, Akatar, most, I started it at home, but I was reading it in the like airport while I was waiting yeah. for things. Cause I was visiting, I was out visiting for a, a wedding out there. And when I was reading around my grandparents, <laughs> I was like flicking through very quickly. <laughs> it helps that you're a skip reader. It does. But I I was very I was very much aware yeah. of I, I felt like, oh shit, it's like my face getting red. Like, can they tell what's right. going we on? We both right are now? very obvious when things, you know, fluster us. Yeah. Um, but that brings up a good point too of the almost like stigma of people knowing what you're reading, whether it's them looking over your shoulder and seeing it or one of my favorite things about having a Kindle and reading ebooks is people don't know what I'm reading. Right. So if I'm reading a book that literally has like a shirtless man on the cover, I don't need to feel weird reading it in the middle of an airport. Um, and I kind of feel the same way about Akatar. Yeah. Just because it is so popular and so many people know about the the more adult rated moments in Akatar. It's like I think for me, if I saw someone reading like A Court of Mist and Fury in the airport, I would be able to tell if they were at or past chapter 55. And I would look at them and be like, 
you know you're reading some spicy stuff right now i know what you know (laughs) so i i like that ambiguity of like i can be reading the darkest or spiciest or whatever ist book and no one needs to know and so i feel less embarrassed about it yeah it's funny so talking about like the embarrassment of what we're reading so Mm -hmm. i was talking to my aunt Mm -hmm. about our podcast Mm because she listens and then i had a couple people we were at like a family party and then a couple other people like ask about it and then my grandparents asked about it and i was like oh uh it's probably it's probably not for you to listen to like I think my my family's relatively accepting, yeah. and, you know, again, my aunt loves this podcast. She messages me, like, after listening. She's like, this is so funny. <laughs> um, thanks, aunt. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Michelle. Uh, but I did get a moment of, like, how do I, I answer this how question? How do I answer this, and do I want this person to know, like... That's it, what I'm into, especially because you're very explicit yeah. that that is what you're into. Yeah. And so, and even though we went over it last episode, it's not really what you're into. No. It's the the type of book is what you're into, but the actual um, chapters that we got are not, it's still going to put that in their brain of like, oh, yeah, this, this? is what our grandbaby likes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because then, you know, I, I turned my my aunt, my other aunt mm-hmm. on to listening and she t- texted me and she was like, I totally get like the fear of recommending <laughs> books and like if there's oh, a little bit of spice and like, what is that going to make people think? Like, you may not like that kink, but like, and you're it's also reading like, it. You're really putting yourself on display. Like if there's a kink in that book that you're really into and I come in and I'm like, that is the most disgusting, weird thing. <laughs> you're going to have to be like, oh, I'm not into that. Yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> no, and I think, you know, I think we've been doing a good job of like keeping this pretty high level. So it's not like on this I don't want to kink shame anyone. No, 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 no. And, and that's not what it's about. But I think it hits on something, right? Is like sometimes books feel too personal and your recommendations yes. can feel personal. Have you ever made a recommendation to somebody that you were scared about, like, how they would receive that book? Um, Outside of me, like. Outside of you? Oh, that's kind of tough. I I feel like if I say no, that sounds really cocky. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, I have such good taste in books. But I don't know if I have because I think I, I overthink what I am recommending and to who. Mm -hmm. And so I just try my hardest not to recommend something to someone that I already know they are not going to like. Um, and there are a lot of books that I have read that like, I won't even recommend to you. I won't recommend to my sister, my cousin, just because I know that they're not going to be into it. Um, the book that we're talking about today is a little bit of an exception because I liked it so much. Um, and that does make it really hard to recommend it to people because I know not everyone is going to like it like I do. And I know it's a popular book, but it's also very, very different than what's popular right now with the romance and the fantasy. And and this is so light on what it touches. And and I think that's, that's the thing is I am more nervous sharing books that I genuinely feel like they took a part of my soul with me um, than I am sharing, you know, something that has a weird kink in it. Um, but all in all, I'm just really selective with what I share 
because I'm afraid of not so much what people are going to think of me, but if they're not going to like the book. Yeah, and I get afraid of what people are going to think of me because a lot of what I'm reading right. is a little bit, you know, risque. more risque. Yeah. Um, and I had that moment with uh, actually, I think I recommended Zodiac Academy to our friend Raquel. Yes. I th- was worried that she wasn't going to like it because it's a little bit more like mystical. Yeah. And, you know, all that also kind of Also like thing. a little bit juvenile. A little juvenile. And I don't think she did like it. So, you know, I just feel like sometimes I, because I swing everywhere. Yeah. Like I don't have a real pattern. Like if you look at my shelf, I have things that are realistic. I have fantasy. I have, you know, some deeper books up there too. Like I read a little bit of everything. Most of what I read does have a little bit of romance in it. Yeah. Um, But it's hard for me to find somebody that's going to like the things I like because I think I take in so many different influences. And so that brings me to like my next question for you. What do you think has been your biggest influence in reading? Like a specific book or? A book, a person, a topic, a thing. That's a really good question. You're really throwing me off guard with that one. <laughs> um, uh, we did not rehearse this, folks. Um, I I would say because I read so much growing up and I've almost exclusively read from a woman's point of view, it's that like badassery kind of that I've learned to kind of take some things with me, like the confidence that these women have. Um, and these strong female characters just being able to put themselves out there um, in situations that might have been really uncomfortable for them. I was a very shy kid. Shocker, I know. Um, So I think that that was part of it for me was like reading so much about these women just doing it, like doing life and, and, and acing their way through it. Um, And even if it wasn't from a woman's point of view, I always took whoever the strongest woman was from the book, you know, like I read the entire series of unfortunate events series, Mm -hmm. many, many, many books, all of them small, short, sweet to the point, but like 13 books. Um, and I loved Violet. I loved her so much. She was this strong female character, but she was also relatable because she was like, what, 14. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was so creative with the way that she thought and, and for the longest time, I, I liked to, t- to tie my hair up with a ribbon because it made me feel like her. So I would say, I guess that would be the biggest influence that I've had personally is really taking to those female characters and looking up to them. Yeah, I. it's funny that you say that because it was one of the talking points I had with my aunt when we were talking about books is I really struggle with a male writer. Yeah. Because I look for a female perspective and I feel like there's something that's always missing when a male author tries to write a strong female character. Mm -hmm. It just feels a little off. It's too like, I am woman, hear me roar. And that's not Not it. Yeah. So I look for that as well. But that is also one of my biggest influences is that I steer away from male authors. Yeah. And I cut myself off of, like, a lot of different 
genres or oh, for sure. kind of topics. Like, and it's funny, like, when I think about male author, authors in, like, the fantasy world, I always go, like, space, apocalypse. Like, I don't think of, like, fae and, yeah. like... it just feels too dainty. Yeah. For... And this is, again, we are we are really cutting people out and, and cutting out what are some amazing authors, I'm sure. Um, but I feel the same way. It's just hard to make that connection. And I've tried. Yeah. I, and sometimes, like, you don't even know, like, based off of the name, like, it could just be, like, M blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's, like, you don't even know. But then you read it and you're, like, no, 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 that's a male author. I can tell yeah. that that's a male author. Mm-hmm. And I've always struggled with that. I remember being in AP English and people just raving about Ernest Hemingway and and things he's writing. And I remember my boyfriend at the time, we had such a disconnect um, between us on The Old Man and the Sea. And then there was another book that I'm forgetting the name of right now. And we just had such a disconnect on how we felt about it. And I was like, I can't get into this. I yeah. can't get into this perspective. I can't get into like, and he's like, it's so symbolic. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. Like I can't read yeah. this. And I've always struggled with that. And like, I want to connect to the, these other things and these other, because I feel like also like male writers write a different kind of trope. Yes. And I want to check that out. I want to be inclusive, but I really struggle. And I think that's been my biggest influence in reading is the authorship of the book. Yeah. And I think that, you know, specifically focusing kind of on the the fantasy realm of things or just the romance realm, um, I think that there is a huge difference in writing when it comes to writing with femininity versus hyper-feminism. And I feel like we get hyper-feminism so often with these male authors that they are thinking like, oh, what is a woman going to say? Or how would she describe this? Versus like the very subtle feminine notes that you get. And so I think that the problem really for me is, at least with the books I've read, obviously I can't just completely cut out an entire millions and millions of books that are written well by male authors the, the problem that I have had with the books that I've read is when the male author tries to write from a female perspective. Right. There are certain books I can get through. There are certain books I enjoy that are written by male authors, but there is something so fluid about a female author with a main character that is a female and you get the male's character every once in a while, his point of view, and it's a soft point of view. And it still has a lot of masculinity to it. But you get what you're looking for, mm-hmm. you know? You, they're writing it for a woman because they know what it is that we want or they know what it is that someone who identifies with femininity wants versus, I don't know, I just feel like with the books that I've read, especially more on the romance side of things, you get the woman's point of view from a male's perspective and it's a little bit harsher or it's too feminine it's like oh my gosh I would die for this man and it's like that's not that's that's not not right that's not true that's not how we feel um you know I read a lot of Nicholas Sparks books and those are written by a man and they are romance novels um and I enjoyed them but it still just it didn't hit the right way and, and a lot of them weren't always from a 
first person point of view is from a third person point of view. And that's another thing I don't like is just that disconnect of I'm reading about people versus I'm reading through people. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times when you are reading, I don't know if you feel this way, but especially with like the Nicholas Sparks kind of books, the romance has to have like a big tragedy. Yes. Always. With the male writer. Like everything has to have like a center tragedy around the romance for like male writers that is sometimes just like too dramatic. Yeah, like I don't need that. No. Especially I'm reading Nicholas Sparks because I'm looking for something more realistic. Yeah. You know, two people that are living in somewhere in Nantucket because that's basically (laughs) where they always were. Um, And when it's oh, well, he went off to war and he found this picture of me and now he's in love. It's it's too much. It's too coincidental. It's too dramatic. You know, someone dies. Mm-hmm. It's Someone is hospitalized and then paralyzed, but she still loves it. It's too much. Mm-hmm. I don't need... I am not reading romance, especially what I would classify as, like, light romance for a heartbreak. Right. I'm reading it for spice and I'm reading it for some sort of relatability and I cannot relate to you when you, I don't know, got into a car crash on a pier and a whole Ferris wheel was knocked off course and into the ocean. Like, I can't, I, I, I can't get behind that. That's a lot. But that's what it feels like. Like, it feels that dramatic to me i know and i don't know maybe you know we are looking at this very cisgender yeah absolutely female focus that's where we can speak from and you know maybe that we're off if if anybody has a recommendation of a male author who does a female perspective very very well please let us know i'm really interested and if you suggest the silent patient to me i will scream Sorry. Okay, so don't suggest that one. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting when you think about perspective and you think about how things are written. And specifically when you think about this book that we're talking about today, I think perspective is a big point that you have to take into consideration when you read this Mm -hmm. because of how the characters are. And also how the story progresses. So I think that's going to take us into our, you know, book review segment of yeah. this podcast. Yeah. Um, so overall, for the spicy reading of this book, I would give this book like a one or a one and a half. Yeah, that's pretty fair. And and just to, to remind everyone, we are discussing The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue today by V.E. Schwab. Um, it's, it is very light on the spice. Um, and I, I personally felt like I didn't need it to push the story along. Um, and I didn't need it to be able to feel the connection between the two main characters. Um, but I would agree, it's like a one and a half. There's like maybe two scenes. They're both fade to black. You don't really get anything before it fades to black. No, and I mean, I think there's a little bit more... There's more than two scenes. I mean... But it's more like connotation than it is, like, actually something happening. Yeah, that's fair. And I think it makes sense. Like, I know last week we were talking about how the scenes were, like, 
vulgar and smut for smut's sake. This is not that. No, it's very tasteful. But it, and not even just tasteful. It's very pointed. Yes. To drive, um, like character progression. Yeah. So it makes sense. What I will say is that I'll also give my overall rating. I struggle with the rating on this book because I want to like it more than I do like it. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. That's a good word for it. But I was bored. Mm -hmm. Like, I was very bored, but it was beautiful. Yeah. And so that's the difficult part is, like, how do I like something that I like the beauty mm-hmm. and I like the sim- symbolism of the, the of the thing and I like the story. But you didn't like how slow it was. It was too slow. I think I was talking to you about this. There's 180 pages before something even really happens. Yeah. And I get it. It adds to the beauty of the thing, but it could have been more intense Mm -hmm. there were moments where i was like you're skating by something that i want you to actually dive into yeah and like fully like get that plunging into cold water feel yeah and i always felt like you were kind of just like dipping maybe not just your toe but like your foot yeah into it and i'm like no no no. i want you to plunge because you have something like it's it's beautiful so i think my rating will probably be around like a three and a half higher than i would have expected because it's beautiful right and i'm really curious i know this is like one of your favorites is this like a five 100 it's a 5.0 like no questions about it i did not see anything about this book that i wanted more from uh, there were no parts of it that made me shy away from it. There was, it definitely was a slower book to start with, but that didn't bother me. Um, because it felt very poignant to the story. Like there was a reason it was moving so slow. Um, I absolutely love this book. I, like I said, this is one of those books that really took a piece of me with it. I, I, I will reread this book. I think it has rereadability. Um, I'll recommend this book until the day I die. I'm obsessed with it. I want to know, okay, so well, this is going to be our spoiler alert section. Well, let's talk about the overview of the book and just what it's about. All right, I'm ready to talk about this. Briefly. It'll be quick. Um, basically, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, we have our main character, Addie LaRue, obviously. Um, Addie LaRue is a French woman, French young woman. Um, from the 1700s. I know that that does not sound interesting at all. Um, basically Addie makes what is essentially a deal with the devil, um, to be able to have a life that she so desires. Um, she is in a situation where in 1700 France, she is being set up to marry another man that she doesn't know, doesn't care about, doesn't want to be with. And she is looking to have another chance to really live her life and and find her own potential. She makes this deal with the devil. Um, and as all those deals go, there is always some sort of underside, underlying issue, um, you know, some sort of catch. And basically the catch is that Addie LaRue has to go through her life completely unremembered. Um, and what that means is Addie can live forever. 
She cannot be harmed. She can get hurt and it heals immediately. Um, Addie LaRue will live infinitely and anyone who meets her will forget her the second they are not looking at her. Um, so we are getting a time jumpy kind of story where you are connecting two very different sides of the story. You're connecting Addie in 1700 when she's learning about what her life is going to be like and, you know, what this deal really has done to her. And you're getting Addie in what was more present day. It's New York City. It's 2014. Um, we're getting a lot of, you know, newer stuff from her. And she has now lived this many years without having been remembered at all. So you're getting this character progression that's broken up and you're trying to find where it meets in the middle. Um, so that's a little bit about the book. We're going to go into our spoilers. Um, as Mo mentioned, this is your official spoiler warning. There is a lot about this book to discuss. There are a lot of things I didn't mention in the summary. So if this is a book that you are interested in reading, please pause now. Come back to us when you're finished with it and listen to what we have to say. Yeah, and I will say there is one trigger warning. Um, there is talk about suicide at one point in this book. So if that's something that, um, you know, is triggering for you, just keep that in mind. It's not extensive. You can probably quickly glaze over it, mm -hmm. but it is mentioned. So we want to make, make sure we put that out there. Yeah, definitely. But let's talk about it. I know you have a lot of thoughts and feelings. I want to hear them. I feel like you're in the hot seat this week. I was last week. Um, tell me about how you felt. So going back to this story is beautiful in a lot of ways. And it's beautiful because you are going through 300 years of this person's life where they are trying to navigate around the world being unremembered. And mm -hmm. there's like moments of coming to terms with like what makes a person a person. And, and one of the biggest things is Addie can't actually say her own name mm -hmm. and she can't write it down and she can't share her story with anyone because they're going to forget. And she right. can't, create anything really her own because it's just going to vanish correct however she can influence ideas mm -hmm. and she comes through the story like every there's what five parts five or six parts in the book mm -hmm. and each part opens with an art piece or a book or a um like a song that was influenced by her. Yeah. And I thought that was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I loved that thought that you could be impacting people through presence. Right. Even though your presence isn't necessarily known. Right. She's going through life trying to figure out how to make an impact and she <clears throat> ends up just becoming this unattainable muse yes for so many different types of artists over a course of 300 years and you're constantly getting people who are relating her to the art that she is the muse for yeah and not understanding why it is that she looks so similar to that blurry photograph or she sounds just like that song or um you you really do get a lot of beauty from that of just having this young woman try to figure out how to make an impact on the world and seeing it reflected in such a way that 
she is that infinite muse. She is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Yeah. And a lot of the times, like, while I was reading this, I was like, she feels like a ghost. Like, she just feels like, I wanted to like this more, but where I struggled with the book is in the actual, like, reality bit. It kind of went over how she gets from place to place. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, like, the devil will show up because he keeps checking in because he's like, are you ready to give up your soul? Right. Are you ready to hand in the towel he kind of has like an infatuation with her yeah he didn't expect her to last as long as she did and she is very resilient and doesn't want him to win right and so it's just like a battle of wills really between mm-hmm. you know the devil and the person that made the deal with the devil um and what i also thought was beautiful was in the way it handled like kind of like be careful what you wish for or yes be thoughtful of what you say Mm -hmm. because the whole reason she's in this kind of deal is because she wasn't clear right with her intention and with what she wanted out of the deal and it did it in a clever way where it wasn't like pointed oh that's where that mistake was right you kind of had to unravel it as you were unraveling right the the devil character in that he he picks up in unexpected ways mm-hmm. like it would have been easy for him for the book to be like okay like you want to not get married or live forever i'll make it so that no man ever wants you right and it's like no no, no. what he did was like give her ultimate freedom because that's kind of what she wanted yes but she didn't want it in that way so i just i thought it was beautiful the way it did it in the unexpected and unconventional way than what you would, I think, would typically see. Because essentially, this book feels like Groundhog Groundhog's Day. Because for yeah. the first 180 pages, you're going through her just trying to s- survive. Right. And, and it she, is kind of living the same day over It's and over. living the same day. She's trying to steal this, trying to get here, trying to do this. Right. And it's 180 pages of that. I'm not, I'm not yeah. kidding. And it's all that. Yeah. And that's where I was, like, a little frustrated. Because it's like, I get it. I get it. It's hard. Yeah. I get that you're struggling. You're just trying to survive. You're trying to go to these new places. You have to thieve. You have to move. Oh, somebody found you, found out what you're doing. You're in trouble. Okay, now you get, like, I get it. (laughs) I get that. Let's move on because you got me in the story. You got me in this deal that goes wrong. I get that. Where does it go? And then there's like a hint. I, I remember messaging you. There's a hint about her and the devil having some kind of interaction or relationship that happens in this louisiana that she harkens mm-hmm. back to because she's got this coat or whatever that reminds her of this situation mm-hmm. and you get this and i remember messaging you and being like i just want to know what's going on in the louisiana what yeah. happened in louisiana i don't mm-hmm. care about anything else and so i legitimately this is when i talk about skip reading i'm usually like page here like a paragraph here where no 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 i skipped like whole pages (laughs) i was like okay got it okay got it got it got it got it and then you get to this moment where she meets this guy henry because she likes to she's you know taught herself how to read she's picking up on that he works in a bookstore this is present day 2014 yeah present day 2014 and she's expecting him to not remember her so she steals the book he catches her but lets her have it anyway she goes back the next day or a couple days later to return it and 
you find out that, oh, no, Henry remembers her because he made his own deal with the devil because he uh, was going to kill himself and then the devil showed up and uh, basically made this deal where he asked for more time. He asked for more time, but he also asked to be enough for everyone. And so because of the deal that he made and the way it was structured, they could see each other. They could, mm-hmm. he could remember her. It was her. a loophole. It was a loophole. I mean, it wasn't really a loophole because apparently, like, Lush, the devil, like, rearranged it to be this way. Yeah. To, like, torment her more, basically. Right. But you get, like, 300 pages of Addie just, like, being invisible Right. And trying to survive and just hearing all that. And then finally you get Henry and that's when the story gets really interesting. And I'm like, come on. Like, why did you yeah. have to take it that far? I We get the thing. Yeah. See, I I take it in a different sense. I, I agree. It definitely had a little bit of a slow, repetitive start. Um, but I liked seeing, you know, where she went from the ground up. Um, well, I think you liked it because she was in France and you had just traveled to France. So it felt nostalgic. That too. It did feel nostalgic. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just really liked Addie. I thought she was a really enjoyable character. Um, and I, I, I mentioned it when we, when we talked about Belladonna. I am a death personified kind of person. I, I guess I'm also a devil personified kind of person when, when they're an actual character and not just like a little red demon with little horns. Um, and, and Lucifer or Luke in the story, um, has a pretty significant part until you meet Henry. And so I really liked that progression of trying to understand what the relationship was between Addie and Luke and Addie constantly not wanting him to be around, but also waiting for him. Like, knowing yeah. he comes back on the same day, yeah, their every single year, their anniversary of when she made her wish. And I loved tracking that and of watching her go from, I don't want him to be around, I don't want to see him, he comes in and he just ruins my day, or he whisks me away to another country that I don't know how to leave because I just went from France to Italy, I can't get back, it's 1824. Um, and no one remembers me, I can't just get on a ship. Right. Um... And I loved watching that progression of her being so annoyed with him to her being expecting him and being devastated when he doesn't show up because she now is realizing that she has attachments to him because he's the only person who understands her and who can remember her and who can relate to her. And can say her name. And can say her name. And he teases her. He says her name all the time and she hates that. And and you you get this point of view from him where... He's very arrogant, but you also can always tell there is an underlying portion of him that is very interested in Addie and, like, cares about Addie. And watching that come to a head um, with Louisiana and and trying to understand what's going on in Louisiana and what is this ring that keeps mysteriously reappearing even though she's thrown it away, she's thrown it in the ocean. And getting to that point felt really significant to me and I really enjoyed kind of having that. Um... But overall, I I liked that it was almost two different stories. It was the yeah. the Addie and Luke story and the Addie and Henry and, story yeah. that then wrapped back up with Luke. Yeah. And watching her go through, you know, the French Revolution and then going through World War II in France and being whisked away because she was going to die. She was yeah. dressed like a man. 
she was being tortured she was going to get hauled off um and luke giving enough of a crap to actually pull her away from that even if it made her feel you know insignificant or her feel like she couldn't do it herself she still knew deep down that it was because he cared for her and still wanted to watch over her um and just the beautiful moment when she has that realization that like Henry sees her and she has a real life person that yeah. is not the devil that can hear her out and understand her. And she, the, the thing that sticks with me the most about this book is when um, Addie and Henry are on the high line in New York and they're at that art exhibit mm -hmm. and Addie realizes that she can translate things about herself yeah. through Henry. Yeah. And so there's this really, really beautiful moment where Henry is able to understand and write out Addie's name for her in paint that is permanent on this art piece. And it's so significant. It's the first time that she's able to truthfully make an impact. And, and Henry does that for her. And I think that he is such a lovable character um, because he does have his flaws and he does have his things. And it takes you a while to really know why it is that he can see her and and remember her and he works with her to still have her be friends with his friends even though they can't remember her um I don't know like you said beautiful is the perfect word for this book it really is a beautiful story Henry and Addie's relationship is absolutely so stunning so spectacular um and and seeing the way that it all comes to a head when Addie finds out about Henry's deal and how he only has like a month left, I think, by the time that she finds out yeah. um, before his time is cut short and he is going to perish because that is the side to his deal that he made with Luke. Um, and seeing her just take that and be like, all right, fine, we're going to make the best of it then. You know, we're going to spend this month and we're going to do everything that we want to do. And you're going to write a book about me and we're going to like figure out how to make this last or how to break our curses. Yeah. And I think that is just so heartbreakingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I really, there's no better word for it. Um, and for everyone who is listening, who has read it already or just wants to hear us talk about it, um, you know, what what eventually ends up happening is Addie and Henry are at days, hours left even on Henry's life. And Addie summons Luke, who she hasn't seen in years, but she has felt his presence. He's been around her. He's watching over everything that they're doing, um, knowing that this is going to break Addie. And she summons him and sits him down and says, there has to be a way to let Henry live. Um, there has to be something that you can do. I'll die. I'll do this. I'll do that. Um, and eventually this is where you really see Luke's true colors and how he truly feels about Addie is he is so infatuated with her and wants to be with her that he lets Henry out of the deal only if it means that Henry will no longer remember Addie and Addie has to go back to just being a ghost in the world. Well, even more than that, she makes the deal that he, she will be with him as long as he wants her. Mm -hmm. And 
it was so pointed because she's learned now. Yeah. And I think that's also the beauty is like, you've learned now your lesson. Yeah. And she makes the deal of like, not to say forever, I'll be with you forever, but she makes it as long as, and so she like takes this new challenge of, I'm going to make him not want me and then Mm -hmm. I'll get out of my deal. So it's like this whole other thing. But I think to like backtrack a little bit because there was something that about this book that this point there was this one point that struck me and it's because I think it's in my head a lot like personally but when Henry is realizing that his curse makes it so that everybody loves him Mm -hmm. and just loves them for loves him for whatever they see that they need right and it's a lot a lot of it is is driven from like a romantic perspective he he has a lot of one night stands because everybody thinks they they see He's the what most beautiful yeah person and it's just that, yeah. not true. But his friend Bia says something, and it and it hits him that that's not who he is. That he's not the best listener, and that he's not this, and he's not that. But there was a point in it because that's what she said. Like you're a great listener, and you always. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm always like getting right. Wrong. And it it actually made me think about something that. Well, what does it matter if you don't think that? Right. What if you actually are that to that those people, but you don't see that? And so I thought about it, like, not as a curse, but as, like, an opportunity for him to maybe step outside of himself and not see himself for who he thinks he is, but see himself for who other people see him as like his potential mm-hmm. or what he could be. Maybe it is enough. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I remember having this talk one time with um, our friend um, about how I often think about, well, how does how does how is someone viewing me? And she told me something that has stuck with me to the, to this day. It's none of your business. Yeah. And so that's what made me actually like this book a lot because it kind of hit on that for me is like well it was none of his business right and he made a deal based on something that was none of his business right like he never thought he was enough he wasn't good enough it's just like but that just wasn't it was his perspective it was your perspective you know and and i just i i i it's a very thoughtful book it's it's a book that's gonna make you feel something Mm -hmm. it's deep again i wish the first 200 pages was faster i got it i understood why but i'm like come on move forward i get i get why i don't love the deal Mm -hmm. that she makes with luke because i think it's very assumptive Mm -hmm. of oh i'll get henry out and i'll get this new deal and i'll make him hate me and i'll get out of the deal and it's like you're 300 years old and He's presumably the oldest, an infinite God. So, what? He's outsmarted you at every turn. He's created a scenario with this other person that tormented you more. So, I just felt like that part was a little off for me. I get it. It's funny. (laughs) It's really funny. It adds some levity to the end of the story because you're, like, so sad. Right about henry it's not that he doesn't remember her because he has her book and he reads it and he he knows who that is right but it's that they can't 
be together. Be together. They can't interact anymore. Yeah. He doesn't know that she still exists or that she's right. still out there. And I, but I, what I did love is he publishes her story and he doesn't put his name mm-hmm. on the book. I thought that was the like penultimate moment. Yeah. Like I thought that was gorgeous. Yes. Is that so long this person that has been amused with their name on on her, mm-hmm. she gets a moment where she's not just the muse, but she's the thing. Right. She's the book. It's a bestseller. People around the world are reading about this Addie LaRue person and everyone's talking about her. So she has now made it possible for everyone to say her name. Yeah. And I think that is what I really took away from the end is the deal that she made to get Henry out of it um, might have seemed a little, you know, convoluted but I think that what really gave her her power back is that moment of he he knew enough to not put his name on the book and she has made it so that she has a household name now mm-hmm. whether or not someone is remembering her face they are remembering her yeah and her 300 year story and that takes the power away from Lucifer and I love that I feel like the story and the characters were really really well rounded you got this absolutely beautiful dialogue you had so much of a um I don't know very prolific way of of speaking very eloquently written book very you had these beautiful quotes um I have to read one from Lucifer himself just to show while he was the devil and he was arrogant he had a very prolific side to him um Mm -hmm. one of his quotes was i am stronger than your god and older than your devil i am the darkness between the stars and the roots between the earth i am promise and potential and when it comes to playing games i divine the rules i set the pieces and i choose when to play and if that is not enough for you to understand just how much went into this book how much emotion how much story how much inflection these really again, well-rounded storylines to me. Um, like I said, I didn't see a fault in this book. I, I There is nothing about this book that I would have changed. Um, and I absolutely see your point. I do think that there are some things that maybe don't translate as well, or it seems like it was only brought in for levity. Um, but I think for a book that is as big as it is, it's a pretty hefty book, um, it felt like it went by fast, even though it was a little bit slow in the beginning. Yeah. I think the one thing that I don't know if it was like hit on enough or it kind of confused me and I didn't get it was Lucifer looks like a drawing that Mm -hmm. like he personified himself based off of something that Addie created, like this drawing that she had, you know, in her teenage room, and she put so much thought into it, and he created himself to look like that. And then she finds Henry, and Henry looks like a younger version of Lucifer. And I thought that there might have been a really good story point there, and it was, like, glossed over, I think. Yeah. And... I didn't know why, but they put so much emphasis in it. Right. But then it wasn't like, they put so much emphasis on her noticing it. 
Yeah. But it wasn't, like, fleshed out, and I wish it may have been, because it just caused me a little bit of confusion. No, that makes sense, and I think that it's basically the, the way that they fleshed it out in the story was that Addie obviously is 300 years old, Henry is 20-something, um, and what they had initially said was that Lucifer kind of, like, placed these images in her head for her to really romanticize and fantasize about what this person looks like. Um, and so whether or not it is intentionally yeah, left like, was it up supposed to, to be a coincidence? imagination, um, whether it is intentionally left up to, you know, what does the reader think? Do they think that Lucifer created Henry? Do they think that um, Lucifer knew who Henry was going to be? before he yeah. ever because lucifer does set himself up and says i am stronger than your god right and so that's it, the point it gives was... him that that ambiance of being all-knowing so i could absolutely see it going that way of like he knew what was going to happen he knew where Addie's life was going to go he intentionally brought her to these places to have it go that way and maybe it is that he knew who henry was going to be and thus placed these images in her head so she had this, like, familiarity with it and almost another way of just teasing her about it. I don't know. I agree. They don't really go into it very much. And I, it feels like that must have been intentional. I would, I, yeah. I was like, is this coincidence? Is this intentional? Is this planned by Lucifer? Right. Is this, I, I, I struggled with that a little bit. Yeah. I was like, I, I wanted to know that. But that was one of the points I struggled with. And again, like, I thought, like, you know, it landed in a three and a half. No, by no means do I dislike this book. I just wish that some points were fleshed out. Like, that. And some were glossed over. Yeah, like, that could have been something really cool to flesh yeah. out. I didn't need 200 pages in the beginning of her jumping around and in eating bonbons. Yeah, I, I didn't need that. I wish the time that was spent there was spent in doing in fleshing that kind right. of stuff out because that would have added even more complexity to like the manipulation aspect right that i think would have been good yeah but anyway that is this book yeah um we had a lot of thoughts on this one we had some disagreements on this one mm -hmm. which is pretty on par for us at this point um not as hefty as last week though not as hefty as last week we were pretty pretty much on the same page but not always yeah. um it was i think belladonna was our great divide yes and i'm i'm interested to see when another book comes along that absolutely divides us again um but i'm gonna throw your question at you um if you had to describe the book with three words how would you describe the invisible life of Addie larue well, I, I kind of already said beautiful, deep, mm -hmm. intentional. I like that. Like, it, it's very pointed mm -hmm. in, where, in where these characters flaw, are flawed. Yeah. And we know that. We know that in my, like, favorite things is understanding character flaw. Mm -hmm. And that's why I do like this book so yeah. much. Like, I love a flawed character. Yeah. And that's why I... And still, I'm really drawn to the book, despite some of those I think there's, there's crack in the book. There is some sort of addictive quality to it. Um, whether you 
rate the book a five or a three and a half or a two. I think there is always going to be something about this book that people are going to want to talk about. And I think that's why it's so popular is even if you absolutely hated something about the book, there is something else that just draws you to it. Yeah. And you can't control that. Like you can't, you can't deny, like even if you don't like the story and it it's not for you, you can't deny that the beauty and the quality is there. Like I yes. don't think there was many like shortcuts I agree. Taken. And there's no, like, loose ends. Like, I think the ending of the book lends itself to a second book. I agree. I don't know if that's on the docket, but... Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see this book made into a movie. I think that taking out some of the 200-plus pages yeah. of nonsense, um, I, don't I think, think it, that this could be a really good movie. Um, I don't personally. think it would have the power. I think it does. Um... I also think that this this book had a really good way of showcasing B.E. Schwab's ability. And she has so many other books. And from my brief understanding of her other books, this is the first and only book I've read so far by her. Um, from my very brief understanding of them, it is so far and beyond different from what she traditionally writes. And so it makes me very interested to see if the other books are so precisely written and are, are so fleshed out in like every portion of the story um so I'm definitely I mean I'm gonna read more of her books and see what they look like um I know she does a lot of more actual fantasy as opposed to this like quasi real world fantasy mashup mm-hmm. um I think overall my words for the book would be magical um heart-wrenching and transcendental i really oh, think that yeah. a lot of the the characters have these really really intricate backstories and you learn so much about them and you learn so much about again what it is that flaws them what it is that drives them and and you don't get that all the time with these kinds of books and so i i very much admire that about this one no, and I agree. Like I said, I don't think it's a bad book. There's just some some slight tweaking that I would like to see, but I agree. And, and I, you know, reading, I read up a little bit, and you're right. Like, this is atypical for her write, writing yeah. style. So I'm curious to see, one, if there's a book, two. And you said, like, I, you'd be interested in a movie, but I don't think it would hit the same mm-hmm. because – the writing is what makes it. Yeah. And I don't know if that would translate yeah. very well. I don't think I would like it if she wasn't, like, the screenwriter. Yeah. Um, And I do think that it would definitely be one of those movies that, like, you do have to read the book first. Yes. To really fully get, get it. it. Yeah. Um, and understand the gravity of the situations that these characters are in. Um, But I, I, would, I would see it. I would watch it. Woo! I think it would be lovely. Um, But I want to talk about what book we ideally would like to be talking about next week. Um, A lot of you probably are aware if you are on any type of social media that Fourth Wing is a up and coming, absolutely viral fantasy book. It is the first book in a new series about dragons and enemies to lovers and slow burns and romanticy and this whole whole thing people are saying it's better than Akatar. 
I would like to be the judge of that. I know you would also. Oh, yeah. So we um, have, have been having a tough time getting our hands on this book. It's sold out everywhere. Everywhere. You can't even get it on Amazon unless you want the ebook. And I want to feel this book in my hands. It's beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful book. Um, so we, fingers crossed, ordered it, hoping that it comes to us, hoping that we can discuss it on next week's episode. Um, because... It's super popular right now. If you haven't heard about it, now you have. Go and read it if you can find it before we can. Uh, and shoot us over your questions or your your comments about it so we can chat about them. Yeah, absolutely. And again, rate, please rate us, like us, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Spotify. We're, all, we're also on Apple Podcasts. Yes. Apparently this is still live going up on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> it's a very confusing system. It is. So, you know. Like us and rate us and all the things. Tell your friends about us. Um, and again, we want to thank you so much. We're at uh, 75 plays. Woohoo! So we couldn't have done that without, without all of you guys listening. Please continue to share us with your friends, your family, your loved ones, your coworkers who like reading, anyone that you want to share us with. We want more besties. Absolutely. And again, please let us know, are you a Sammy or a Mo? Bye. Bye. <laughs>